Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Hope you want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach, and Put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Is the market about to break again from too much euphoria? Yesterday, DoorDash came public at a sky-high valuation, and then the stock nearly doubled. Today, wow, how about this? Airbnb came public at 68, then opened at 146, more than double. So we have to ask ourselves, is something going off the rails, or... All aboard! Okay. Look, it was otherwise a very sedate day away from this. The Dow slipped 70 points. S&P declined 0.13%. I mean, it puts you to sleep. NASDAQ gained 0.54%. Does that ever go down? But after a, pro- a prolonged bull market like we've had, it's only natural to wonder if things have gotten out of hand in some parts of this market and that the over-exuberance could be contagious to the other part. Should the money-losing Airbnb really be worth $100 bill? Does a delivery service like DoorDash deserve a $59 billion valuation when it burns cash every day? Let's posit some things right now before this incredible euphoria does get out of control. It has not yet, okay? And then turns into a monster that devours us all. First, I want to do something that I know from the YouTube that's going to be running six months from now. I know I'm going to regret I'm going to play devil's advocate and imagine a world where the action in Airbnb and DoorDash is fine, is rational, normal even, and their valuations are perfectly realistic. How the heck does Airbnb stock realistically double right out of the gate? I mean, you could argue that they underpriced the deal dramatically because they're great guys who wanted to reward people who got a piece of the offering. Too hard to swallow? What if Airbnb and DoorDash, for that matter, simply didn't really know what they were worth. And maybe they're like the next snowflake, manna from heaven. Uh, th- that's a data warehousing play. They came public at 120, opened at 245, and now trades at 373. I mean, what do you do? How do you argue with a guy who bought that at 245 and you tell you it's too much money? And he says, wait a second, is it 373? Why? Why do you own it? Because it goes higher. Well, why are you holding it? Because it's going even higher. 
I think Snowflake's in a league of its own. Their software saves companies massive amounts of money. But Airbnb actually might come close. I mean, they own the rent the home vacation space. Their business is fantastic right now because with COVID everywhere, it's safer to rent a house than stay at a hotel. What floor are you on? <laughs> All right. Anyway, maybe we should just say congratulations to CEO Brian Chesky and leave it at that. Congratulations, Brian Chesky. But DoorDash, okay, they're simply one of many delivery services. I mean, they may be the largest. They may be the best. But they still compete with Uber Eats and Grubhub, uh, which recently sold itself to a European company for $7.3 billion. That's a pretty huge discount to DoorDash's $59 billion valuation. Hey, maybe Grubhub got ripped off. I mean, anything's possible. We can take this one a step further. If you love using Airbnb and DoorDash all the time because of the pandemic, then why not own their stocks? Ooh, it's such Good circular reasoning. Why doesn't want who wouldn't want a piece of an iconic company that you interact with in your day to day life? It just feels good. So what if their stocks are currently worth more than all their competitors put together? I mean, didn't your parents tell you that comparisons are odious? Mine did. I actually think that this precept is what drove a lot of the buying. Hey, I like the company. I Airbnb's fabulous. I mean, geez, I, who, who doesn't get, I'm not going out to a restaurant. This DoorDash is great. Let's keep playing Lucifer's buddy here. Assuming the DoorDash buyers are right and everyone else is wrong. You could say this all makes sense because Tesla's worth $594 billion. With a stock that's up 649% for the year. Uh, and everybody likes that one. So not why buy it? I mean, why not buy it? Everybody likes it. Right? I mean, you see that flatulence button? <laughs> Let's buy some Tesla. Now, in the bond market, we call Tesla the bellwether. The bellwether. That's a piece of paper that all of the other bonds are priced from. They're priced off it. By the way, you know what? It's actually an agricultural term, bellwether. Yes, the bellwether is a castrated ram with a bell on its neck that leads the flock of sheep right around. Right now, Tesla's the bellwether that shareholders of Airbnb and DoorDash follow. Who am I to say that a castrated ram can be wrong? Okay, enough of the castrated ram. At least when it comes to the IPOs. I bet it is wrong when, when the deals themselves are being priced and where they open. That's what's wrong right now. This part is broken. I'm telling you. How do I know that? Arrogance? Of course. 21 years ago, I brought a company public. It's called TheStreet.com. It was a money-losing enterprise. No, it was an Uber money-losing enterprise that was beloved as a category winner during the tremendous dot-com bull market. Who else besides another rival, MarketWatch, had such a great online publication? Remember, online only. I mean, all the rest of the guys we were up against, well, they were still print, they were printed on dead trees that were cut down in Canada, shipped to New York, bundled up, then unbundled, and eventually thrown on your lawn, cold off the presses. Back then, we weren't going for profit. Oh, no, no. We were going for first mover advantage. Still, I knew we had a big following. What I didn't know was that there was a legion of fans who wanted it in so badly to the deal, the deal of the street coming public at 19, that they came in with a huge amount of market orders and the stock opened at $62. I was screaming at the syndicate desk to open the stock, Lord, please do not let this happen. Do not let this happen. Everybody who buys it is going to lose money. Please don't open it this high. I beg them. I beg them. 
and they could care less. In fact, what they said was there was nothing they could do. The public was coming in with market orders, no limits, and the people who got a piece of the deal didn't want to sell it. So they're going to get 62 ducks to bucks when they buy. Now, I, I, I could have, they could have priced the deal so, so low given the level of demand, but they wouldn't do that. They said that they couldn't control things, that they couldn't price it low, and that the buyers were, well, they actually, what they ended up saying was the buyers weren't the usual institutional customers who wanted it at a certain price and would stay away from it at another. They were so crazy for the darn stock that they bought it with market orders and they just didn't care what they paid. So what happened? Well, the stock jumped up immediately to $66 after opening 62. Jumped up, is it 66 bucks at around 1030. And then it never saw those levels again. It was the highest it ever traded. Instead, it began the long, sickening slide down to $1 and change a few years later, with an area stop in between. Hey, at least we stayed in business. More than 300 companies that came public during that same period ended up going under. Again, you can say Airbnb and DoorDash are nothing like the street. They aren't. These are major, dominant players that have real staying power. And I do not think their stocks are about to roll over anytime soon. There's way too much momentum, joy even. But do they deserve it? Or are the mechanics of the market broken once again? Like they were for when the street came public. When it was supposed to open around 19, then 20, and 20, and it ended at 62. Before the pandemic, I was worried about the delivery industry because there was so much competition. But now, DoorDash has got a huge number of customers. Airbnb's unique, but it's also spawning its own imitators. I mean, it's got the Expedia gun for them, although I think, again, that Airbnb is the winner and all-time champ. More importantly, I'm not actually trying to compare Airbnb and DoorDash to the street.com in 1999. That's not it. What I'm trying to do is compare the way stocks work, okay? The Door, DoorDash and you know, Airbnb are much, much better. I'm just doing it to illustrate what happens when the stock market breaks down, like it broke down during the dot-com era, and the IPO process fails. Goldman Sachs, the firm that bought the street public, simply couldn't control the stock price at the IPO. Now, nobody wanted it to open at 62, not the buyers. We could, I couldn't sell, it was locked up. What I fear is that the same thing is happening again. I know the three founders of Airbnb are now worth $10 billion on paper. Hey, I was worth $360 million, at least for one afternoon. <laughs> I sure wish I could have sold some of those stocks at 66, but the stock, no, you couldn't. I wonder if Chesky and company wish they were unlocked. Maybe they can get an early unlocking and the stock can come down a little. Of course, it's not, it's not the only craziness in this market. Every day now we see some stock explode higher, a SPAC, an electric vehicle play, maybe a biotech like Greenwich Life Sciences, which only rocketed up nearly 1,000% yesterday and was basically old news about a breast cancer drug. Good old GLSI, $5 one day, 57 the next, and then 72 today. Epic run, 48 hours. So what do you do? Just because the IPO market price and system is broken, do you sell them? Do you buy them? Do you short them? Well, you definitely shouldn't short them. And betting against these high flyers is too dangerous. We're about to have a $900 billion stimulus package. The European Central Bank just today said they need to take a more dovish approach. China is booming. And through it all, interest rates remain incredibly low. Money is cheap. Plus, we're about to be flooded with vaccines, including the approval tonight of the Pfizer vaccine by an FDA panel, which will now recommend yes to the FDA itself. Oh, I don't want to show anything in that environment. Honestly, what if it's not that these stocks are ridiculously overvalued? What if the rest of the market is ridiculously undervalued? I mean, maybe the market's dirt cheap. Just positing. The bottom line, 
Okay, it's a stretch to say the market's too cheap. We know it isn't by any means. But the backdrop is too positive to bet aggressively against anything here. If you own something that's up huge, I think maybe you bring the register on part of the position. Shorting, though, that's even crazier than buying Airbnb and DoorDash at these levels, which, by the way, probably will work at this point. Now, but at the moment, shorting these stocks, I'm calling that financial suicide. <laughs> Tej in Tennessee. Tej. Hey, Jim. Booyah from Chattanooga, Tennessee. No, I love that town. What's going on? I'm actually one of those young Robin Hood investors that you mentioned on the show recently. just wanted to say thank you for sticking with the little guy. Oh, thank you. Man, I was all over today trying to figure out. I don't want to hurt the little guy. I don't want to get him in or out. I want him to own stocks like DoorDash and get that big gain. I don't want to lose that opportunity for them. That's not my job. Go ahead. How can I help? My question is on Lemonade, speaker LMND. The stock shot up nearly 30% over the last five to six days thanks to bullish Wall Street estimates. Um, I think the company has a lot of disruptive long-term potential within the insurance market. But I'm wondering if you think it's too expensive to buy now and if I should wait for a pullback. Tess, great question. And I have been a huge fan of Lemonade. I read an article online. There are so many things. It's like people, Goldman Sachs has been displaced by Reddit. I mean, I swear. But there's so much hype in it right now. I mean, look, I liked it at 50. Can I like it as much at 100? No, I just can't. I mean, this is, I just can't. I can't like it as much. I feel like calling my mom. Mom, I can't like it as much. It's just doubled like it's a lemonade stand and not an incredible insurance company, or, or at least a broker of it, so to speak, that all the young people are like, they're like I said, what are you doing? Well, I'm buying some insurance. Okay, look, there's a lot of craziness in this market, but the fact remains the backdrop is just way too positive to aggressively bet against anything here. It's the IPO process that's broken on Mad Money Tonight has stitched it together in a way to win in retail with uh, with or without COVID crisis, definitely with the COVID crisis. Hey, let's talk to the CEO. Then we've seen some spectacular moves, could resist, in the electric vehicle stocks. But is the market getting ahead of itself? I'm going to go through the plays, making the biggest moves, or you're going to love that piece. And some patients are still delaying essential care out of fear of coronavirus. Who can blame them? But what's impacting, let's say, how does it impact the business of Edwards Life Science. Just a sec, let me buy some insurance. Oh, I just got some toll life. Oh, oh man, that collision's too expensive. I'm just gonna get the regular. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, 
NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We need to talk about the remarkable run and one of my favorites, Stitch Fix, the online advisory service that's like having your own digital personal stylist who sends you new clothes and accessories every month or every other month or every three months. This company seemed like a perfect fit for the stay-at-home economy, but even as the stock came roaring back from the March lows, Stitch Fix reported a pair of somewhat imperfect quarters in June and September. They were losing a little more money than uh, Wall Street expected. Oh, but on Monday night, Stitch Fix reported again, and this time they knocked it out of the park with a solid top and bottom line beat, including a surprise profit. Even better, they put up some excellent customer numbers, 3.8 million users. Guidance, spectacular. Since then, the stock has gone into overdrive, surging from $35 before the quarter to $59 in change today. I hate to chase, but this one is pretty darn intriguing to get on pullback. So let's take a closer look with Katrina Lake, the bankable founder, chairperson, and CEO of Stitch Fix, to learn more about the quarter. Ms. Lake, congratulations. And welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Katrina, this was the highest success rate ever in uh, in fiscal uh, first two, uh, 21. You use a term success rate. It's not what other people say. Explain it to us so people know why Stitch Fix stock went up so much. Yeah, so when we talk about success rate, we are talking about when we ship items in fixes, we are si- we are sending clothes largely sight unseen. You don't know what's coming in your fix. And so it really requires a lot on our part to know what's going to work for you, to know what's going to be the right personalization combination for you. And so with success rate, what we mean by that is what is the percentage of items that you're keeping in those fixes? And that was at our highest level ever. In the, in the history of the company, it's been on a steady increase, which is really a testament to um, the combination of data science and our stylists and really just, you know, 10 years of scale and getting better and better at this business. Well, it was surprising, Katrina. I saw that there was a 37 percent short position. And I was thinking, well, who would want to go to the store during a pandemic when I can get great clothes at very inexpensive prices that are meant to look good on me? Uh, for a, a very reasonable price from Stitch Fix. What didn't people see? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we've been public now for three years, and it's definitely been an education process. When you're in a business that is really disruptive, our, um, you know, we now have many ways that you can shop with our recommendations, but our core fix model, the notion of like, we're going to send clothes to your home, sight unseen, and you're going to try them on and expect they're going to work. That's a really radical different way to shop. And even direct buy, which we've launched, which allows you to shop directly from our recommendations in our app or on our website, even that is a radically different way to shop. We're not showing you millions of things on a website 
website and expecting you to filter and sort through those things, we're showing you a really small subset of things that we believe are going to be highly we're highly confident are going to be right for you, um, that are right for your occasion, for your price point, for your size. It's almost this promise of if you could walk into a store and the whole store was relevant for you and exactly what you wanted and is, was going to fit you great. That's kind of the promise of what we're delivering digitally in Stitch Fix. And I think, you know, that's a very radical new way of doing things. And so it's definitely, you know, it has taken time, I think, to bring people along in that story. Well, I know it's anecdotal, but I decided to pull as many people as I could about who uses Stitch Fix, and one of our best people works with me, Kat Myers. It just so happened, she said, I get my box. My box arrives today. And sure enough, she looked at it, and she said, I like everything. And that is highly, I'd say, unusual for, mo- for anybody but Stitch Fix. You have those algorithms. You have really smart people, and they tend to match. Her story is not unlike a dozen other stories that I heard. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kat. And that and that's a really hard thing to do. To your point, to be able to um, one of the metrics that we share that's really compelling this quarter was that we have um, an eighty an, a successful first fixed rate of over eighty percent. And the way we define successful first fix is our very first encounter with you. So your first, you know, the first time you're trying anything from us um, in that encounter, when we ship you things, 80 percent of the time, you are not only buying something, but you are also um, responding to the survey question that we have in a positive way, saying that you're excited for your next for your next fix. And so even I think that's a testament in our very first interaction with you that we can know you that well to be able to get you something you're going to love and then also have you be excited for that next transaction. Um, That's something that really it took 10 years of investing in our data science and 10 years of kind of this fantastic data that we've collected to be able to do that. Well, I think your 10 years is well spent because uh, I think that Stitch Fix takes the guesswork out of looking good, out of feeling good and out of uh, and also preserves people's time. I don't think people recognize, but you do, because I know how your day works, because I've seen you in action, that people's time is the most precious thing, and Stitch Fix saves that. No, that's exactly right. And I think especially during this pandemic, I think people are realizing just how time consuming even buying things online can be. If you are trying to type in jeans in a search bar and trying to find things that are right for you, I mean, that's that's not an efficient thing to do. That's not a good way to spend your time. And so, you know, what we're finding is that during this time, especially during COVID, it's a time where there's a lot of change that's happened. People are really open to trying new things and people are reprioritizing in their lives and they're realizing that, you know, there's better ways to do things and there's better ways to spend their time. And Stitch Fix definitely fits into that equation. I hear too many people come on and ask, oh, aren't you pulling through and won't it slow down and this and that. I'm kind of thinking that maybe it was a great front porch for Stitch Fix. People came and took a look during the the pandemic and now they love it and they do more and more buying each time. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's, look, it's a challenging time I'm in apparel for very obvious reasons when we are all at home and we're not seeing friends and family, when we're not going to weddings, you know, there's many fewer reasons to buy apparel. And so the whole apparel industry is really struggling right now. But even in the face of that, we're seeing double digit growth. We're seeing our highest ever our new client growth last quarter with 240,000 new clients. And so I do think that, you know, it's it's a testament to kind of our ability to take share during this time. And we really think about it as a way that we can really prepare for the years ahead where I think there's going to continue to be a lot of disruption and a lot more um, market share moving. That's that is, um, you know, potentially something that we can benefit from. Totally agree. I can only imagine when, what you will do when you can actually go somewhere. Right now, you're doing unbelievable, and you can't Amazing. do anything at all. Katrina Lake, congratulations. <laughs> great job. Great quarter. Great year. 
Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. That's Katrina Lake, chairperson, CEO of Stitch Fix. Uh, I have admired her work ethic and what she has built, and now it's really starting to pay off. Mad Money's back here for the break. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. of sizzling red-hot IPOs hitting the market. One-two punch of DoorDash and Airbnb. Well, maybe it's time to ring the register on another group that we've been featuring and praising. A group of red-hot stocks that have gotten a lot of love from speculators in this market. I'm talking about the electric SPACs, high-tech electric car startups that came public via reverse mergers with special-purpose acquisition companies, SPACs. Lately, we've been watching this space closely because the electric vehicle cohort is on fire. While I warned you away from most of them, some of which got shelled, like Nikola, I recommended a few that were, I thought, too good to ignore. I recommended QuantumScape and Luminar. I'm one of the few commentators who will ever endorse buying speculative stocks anywhere, let alone TV. But you have to be a responsible speculator. Speculative stocks can get overheated, which is why it's important to take profits while you have them. And when it comes to the electric SPAC names that time, That time is now. These stocks have gotten out of control, so I'm begging you to take something off the table. Now, I don't, you can dump your old position or just trim your cost basis for all I care. It's just, play with the house's money. As long as you sell something, okay? Especially if you bought it on my recommendation. You can always get back in at lower levels, and I'm very confident that lower prices could be in the cards. Specifically, there were four electric SPACs that I've recommended that I think now have gotten too hot for me. In other words, if I were doing the piece right now, I would not be recommending these, but I did them. And they are QuantumScape, Luminar, CII, they're a little nutty, CIIG merger, which is joining forces with Arrival, and Hennessy Capital. Uh, That one's merging with Canoe, all right? Now, when I thought about highlighting them, I figured they could all catch fire, uh, even if they shouldn't. And that's exactly what happened. So let's take them one by one, starting with the hottest of the hot. Let's talk about one I like called QuantumScape because it's emblematic of this whole move. QuantumScape is a great company with a great stock 
that has made you a massive amount of money if you bought it on my recommendation in late October. These guys are developing a better lithium battery for electric vehicles, and their technology is incredibly compelling. A couple months ago, we got a call from Nick in New Jersey who wanted to know about Kensington Capital acquisition. That's the SPAC that uh, QuantumScape eventually joined forces with in order to come public. Nick's in in the running for caller of the year, frankly, because this stock rallied almost 400% since then. QuantumScape checked every speculative box you could imagine. The big limiting factor for electric vehicles is the lithium-ion battery. These things are heavy. They sometimes catch on fire. Even the best ones won't last as long as a combustion engine with a full tank of gas. And the technology hasn't improved much. When Tesla rolls out an electric car with a longer range, it's usually because they added more weight to the battery pack. And that's where QuantumScape comes in. They've been working on a solid-state lithium battery that's smaller with a longer range, longer shelf life, faster recharging times, much less risk of catching fire, and they're even cheaper, costing maybe 15 to 20% less than the current standard. What is not to like? Even though the company's still early in its life cycle, I'll take yeah, years before this technology hits the market, please. QuantumScape's batteries have already been tested by Volkswagen, which liked them so much they invested $100 million in this business. That's a pretty good judge of all things cars. In short, it is a phenomenal story. So when the stock was trading at 13 and change, I gave you my blessing to buy some, especially if it came on a pullback to 10, 12 level, which it promptly did a few days later. However, after the election, Kensington Capital closed on the QuantumScape merger, and this thing has started to go parabolic. And I don't like parabolic. The stock jumped 36% the day they put out their prospectus. Then it rallied 57% the day the deal closed. And then another 27% the day after that. By the end of November, this is a $47 stock. And that's not unique. The whole electric SPAC cohort had a great month in November. When QuantumScape sold off hard December 1st, down 25%, I figured the group might, might cool off. No. It went on to rally for six straight sessions on insanely high volume, including a spectacular run from 58 to 75 yesterday. Think about this. The darn thing was at 38 a week ago. You hit the lottery here. Of course, there have been some legitimate catalysts. The actual merger with Kensington Capital only closed November 27. And that day they had a great interview with my uh, colleague, Squawk on the Streets, David Faber. I love David Faber. I mean, some people think I hate David Faber. My father used to think I hated David Faber. I like David Faber. It's only, I think, that Mark Benioff doesn't like it. Anyway, David Faber had a good interview with CEO Jagdeep Singh, and he, he told a very compelling story. And we're going to have him on the show next Monday. This past weekend, QuantumScape got a glowing write-up in Barron's because it is a great story. But maybe we've reached a point where the stock has been skyrocketing on the same news every time. Yesterday, QuantumScape exploded higher up more than 31% after the company issued a press release about where they're to- uh, they talked about releasing performance data on their Battery technology, but there was nothing new in the release. They told us the battery can charge to 80% in just 15 minutes. But that's something we already knew a month ago. See, when I see a stock skyrocketing on the same news endlessly, that makes me nervous. I think the latest leg higher uh, must have been a bit of a short squeeze with the people betting against QuantumScape paying any price to close out their horrific trades. Not unlike, by the way, what I think happened with Stitch Fix. Let me come at this from another angle, though. At these prices, QuantumScape's valued at, at more than $34 billion. When Kensington Capital merged with QuantumScape, they valued it at $3.3 billion. You're paying 10 times what the SPAC paid. How about earnings and sales? Management believes they can make $3.2 billion in revenues in 2027, seven years away. In other words, right now, the stock is trading at more than 10 times 2027 sales forecast. And that's a very optimistic forecast to begin with. And to me, that's expensive. Listen, I love QuantumScape the company. 
I believe they have a real chance to revolutionize the electric vehicle business with their battery technology. But the stock, I think, has jumped the shark. Yeah, I take, I, I, I take some off the table here. Trust that you get a better price down the line when the lockup expires and the warrants get called in. Something that's crushed other electric SPAC stocks like Nikola and, and Hylion, which you guys constantly want me to recommend in my Twitter feed. Of course, QuantumScape is just the poster child for an unsustainable move across the whole group. Let's talk about Luminar, which makes LiDAR systems. Uh, like radar with lasers. Got me? It exploded higher since I recommended $18 last week. Luminar's technology is terrific for autonomous driving. But since it merged with its SPAC sponsor, the stock soared as high as $47 two days ago. It's already started pulling back to 34 as of today. But it, it's still way up. I like Luminar at $18. But if you don't take something off the table in the mid-30s, I think you're asking for trouble. Right now, it's selling for 14 times management 2025 sales forecast. And I, I think that's too expensive. But look, if you think this is just... Then it doesn't matter. It's son of Tesla. I get that. I mean, it's not even son of Norwegian Cruise Lines, but that stock goes up every day. Next up is CIIG Merger, and that's joining forces with Arrival. And that's a British company that's working on electric vans and buses with a very cool micro factory concept. I wish I had come up with that term. I would have patented it. That could revolutionize manufacturing. I recommended CIIG last week at $21. I, I said I'd prefer it better in the high teens, but $21, it's now $31. And that's after pulling back over the last couple of days. Again, a little something off the table. Please go buy yourself a nice. I don't even care if it's cashmere anymore. I don't know. Maybe you get one of those itchy wool sweaters. How about one of those, you know, fisherman sweaters? Finally, Hennessy Capital's merging with Canoe, another electric play with a modular design platform. I gave you my blessing to dip your toe into this one last Friday, $13. Now it's at 22. Give me a 64% gain in less than four days. I don't, I don't want to be responsible anymore. I'm thrilled, but I, I don't want to be responsible for it because it's such a great win. Here's the bottom line. I like QuantumScape. I like Luminar. I like Arrival. And I like Canoe as companies. But you see, listen, stocks don't always go up. Price does matter. And these prices have gotten out of hand. As for the other electric spec plays, I didn't even like them at lower levels, which makes me even makes them even more dangerous up here. Sometimes when you have a big win, you need to declare victory. You need to ring the darned register. At least take out your cost basis so you're playing with the house's money when you let the rest run. Then you can never lose a thing. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of Edwards Life Sciences after its investor day. How is the company positioning itself as COVID continues to rage on? Then I finally found one thing everyone in Washington can agree on. It's about, nah, it's called a reveal. I'm not telling you. Anyway, uh, I'm going to tell you uh, why they should be putting their energy elsewhere and all your calls in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When the pandemic hit last spring, it didn't just shut down non-essential retail restaurants uh, and made everyone go home. No, it also crushed the medical device industry because hospitals had to postpone all sorts of non-emergency procedures. But with multiple vaccines right around the corner, the medical device stocks are making a comeback and they could have a ton of pent up demand next year. Take one of my faves, Edwards Life Sciences, which makes products for structural heart disease, critical care and surgical monitoring. Hey, these guys are geniuses, and they made a big splash with their non-invasive heart valve replacement a few years ago. Incredible. 
Today, Edwards made the case for its business at a virtual investor conference. Management kicked things off with a bullish outlook for both the fourth quarter in 2021. In response, the stock jumped 2%. I wouldn't be surprised if it's got much more room to run. So let's check in with Mike Musalem. He's the chairman and CEO of Edwards Life Science to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Musalem, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, how are you? Well, Mike, I, I read something. I hope you and your family are doing well. <laughs> uh, we're doing okay. It's a, it's a bummer time, though, right? I mean, you had a virtual meeting instead of the real oh, deal. That's... And I know you like people, so it must be yeah. tough to do. It is. I, I can't wait to get back to our in-person, huh? No. Oof. Well, well, there was something in your in your I mean, I loved your your investor day was one of the most clear. You didn't have to be a you did not need to be a cardiologist to understand your investor day. I love that. But something disturbed me. You actually discussed the notion that hospitals in, have in some cases have stopped treating patients with structural heart disease. Like, that's insane. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good point. Uh, so this has changed over time. Um, when COVID first hit and hospitals were very concerned about being able to handle that giant wave, they not only stopped elective procedures, they stopped everything. They emptied their ICUs so that they would be ready. Um, since that time, uh, they've responded much better. So at that time, they stopped much of these procedures for structural heart patients. And these patients do not wait well. So it meant that a number of these patients ended up in emergency rooms. A number of these patients, frankly, didn't survive. Uh, not a good situation at all. Uh, fortunately, the physicians and the folks that run hospitals have adapted very well since that time, and they've started to find a way to both handle their COVID patients and their structural heart patients. Now, it's still concerning because a lot of these patients have been scared away, and they're nervous about entering the healthcare system that they might get COVID. So it's it's a tough time on patients, but it, we feel like we can see the end in sight. Well, with Edwards Life Sciences products, for the most part, it's not nearly as dangerous or as, uh, it, it, let's say, onerous on the patient who has to stay in a hospital. One of the things that you've got so much in the pipeline that makes me think that you are going to get people in and out for some incredibly complex heart procedures. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Jim. So this is, this is the, the magic of procedures like transcatheter aortic valve replacement. So here's a procedure that can be done uh, in an hour, often uh, happen without anesthesia, and patients can go home the next day. So the burden on the system is much lower. They don't consume ICU beds, and it's, it's been really important factor. If they would have had to go through open heart surgery, very different kind of story. And so it, it's really helped during this pandemic. Well, let's give people an example. For instance, uh, you're doing a trial for asymptomatic patients. Now, that's got to be a lot of people. People don't. And, and a lot of people are, are incredibly vulnerable. How is that going? Yeah. So thanks for that. The. The indication for treating these folks with these heart valve disease called aortic stenosis today is if you have symptoms, you should be treated. Um, I, I guess it makes sense, but just think if you apply that to cancer. Oh, you shouldn't treat a patient with cancer until they show symptoms? Uh, we don't think that that's true at all. We think that the disease is what really kills you and can hurt you. And so we're running a trial to prove just that, randomizing patients that this patient will get a transcatheter aortic valve replacement, and this patient will get the watchful waiting that today is indicated by medicine. And we're betting on 
that the indication will say there's a there's a better way to do this, better well, way to treat patients. You've also got some things, for instance, uh, I don't mean if I mispronounce Resilia, but you've you've got things that are being done uh, for a cal- anti-calcification. My cardiologist says this is really the hidden the hidden heart disease calcification. And until I read your stuff, I I thought there was nothing for it. Yeah, so the what, what's so important here is that uh, we try and build devices that are really durable. And even when we have the technology of a replacement heart valve, the same processes go, in, go on in our body to actually calcify and make those heart leaflets uh, stiff. And so if you can treat them in such a way, and that's what Resilia is all about, such that they don't calcify, then you can get many more years of life. And it's a byproduct of this aggressive focus that our company has and the aggressive uh, emphasis that we have on research and development. We spend 17, 18% of our sales on research and development, probably twice the typical company in medical technology. But it's the idea that we could continue to advance technology. Well, I I should point out that one of your competitors, no need to name, actually couldn't really do a product that has given you more room because it's what you're doing is incredibly complex. And really only Edwards is the is the guy who can do it here. It's a remarkable company. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that, Jim. Uh, it's our employees. They're incredible. You know, through this whole pandemic, we've been part of the critical infrastructure of the healthcare system. Our people never stopped. The people that were going into hospitals every day to help uh, patients have great procedures. The people that worked in our supply chain, they went in every single day, and we didn't have any uh, shortages throughout all this. It's been an incredible effort, and it, it really helps that we have this focus strategy. In right. medical technology, many companies are diversifying. We've decided to stay laser-focused on structural heart disease and critical care technologies because those patients are dramatically underserved. And that's why you're the best there is. Mike Masalem, Chairman CEO of Edwards Life Sciences. Good to see you, sir. I found out about yeah, these guys from my father's Good. cardiologist eight years ago. It's been riding it ever since. Bad Money's back after the break. And then the lightning rounds are, are you ready? Ski dead over the lightning round. Let's start with Anthony, New Jersey. Anthony. Hey, Jim. First time call. Action Alerts member. Excellent. I want to thank you for helping me do so well in the market. Ah, uh, you're jet. Pay off my niece's student loan. With all your help, uh, my stock, I'm asking about it, CBS. I- all right. You know, we own it for the trust, as you know. Stock came in a little bit today, but it is going to be the principal way, along with Walgreens, you're going to be able to get the vaccines. So I think that's going to bring two... Uh, Two, well, let's JJ get that one. But you'll come twice to a CVS, and I think that is going to be very good for the business. Larry Merlot, excellent job this morning on Squawk Box. I need to go to John in Pennsylvania. John. Hey, Kramer. Hey, aquaculture is growing due to diminishing food supply in the oceans. Aqua Bounty got approval to sell their salmon in the U.S. and Canada in June. Right. Well, I mean, look, the, I mean, they just did a big equity offering. I saw it get knocked down because it's kind of an interesting story. You know what we're going to do? I'm going to talk to Ben Stoner. We're going to do a piece on this thing because, boy, is this thing, it's, it's so hot. I got to figure out what's going on. I need to go to Ben in Ohio. Ben! 
Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Yes. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Cheesecake Factory, Secret Symbol Cake. You know what? They had a really good quarter versus what we thought that could happen. They are what I call an essential restaurant, meaning they're going to survive, and a lot of other restaurants aren't. I wish they didn't call themselves Cheesecake Factory. They have a menu that includes many things that are very good for you, not just all, you know, cakes that are fattening. And I think people should know that because it's got a, it's an actually pretty decent place, and I'm in a restaurant business. Let's go to Joe in New York. Joe! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I I want to position the IT services company, CGI Inc. Yeah, none of this is like a, this is that point where I know these guys from the old days. And it's a Canadian company. I don't, you know, I don't do a lot of work on the Canadian companies. I know I'm not trying to discriminate. I love Canada, but that has not been my bailiwick. I need to go to Tom in New York. Tom. Hello, Kramer. And booyah! Wow, that's I very special. I got a talk for you. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Yep. With 71% growth in the first in the last quarter and its oncoming sports betting platform, what is your take on Turbo TV? Turbo Bronfman. Uh, look, we're going to be entertainment TV. Well, look, you know what that means? We're going to be in Disney. Ah. What an analyst meeting. One of the greatest days ever. I mean, you know. That's called genuine hyperbole. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. The Democrats and Republicans in Washington, they agree on almost nothing. But they're always happy to come together and denounce Facebook as monopoly. Yesterday, the Federal Trade Commission and 46 states filed an antitrust suit against Facebook in an attempt to break up the business. They all accused the company of using its monopoly power to suppress and stifle competition. In particular, the FTC excoriates Mark Zuckerberg for buying up rivals to put the kibosh on competitive threats. Think Instagram and WhatsApp. They even claim to have a smoking gun, a 2007 email from Zuckerberg where he says it's better to buy than than compete. The FTC argues that what Facebook did when they snapped up Instagram, which was running circles around them in mobile photos, is to stifle competition. They say what Facebook did when WhatsApps threatened their messaging business was to put down competition. I don't know. I mean, what's the real crime here? The FTC says that Facebook, quotes, suppresses, deters, hinders, and eliminates personal social network competition, which in turn deprives their advertisers of the benefits of competition. These practices have allegedly put a powerful protective mode around Facebook that's simply unacceptable to the government. The FTC wants it to stop, and they're willing to force a breakup to get the job done. My view. I can tell you, I'm more than a little confused. The FTC says Facebook was being anti-competitive when it bought Instagram and WhatsApp. But the FTC approved both those deals. I, I think that, that they think that was wrong, what they did themselves. I mean, I, I wish they'd tell us what did change from when they approved them. Antitrust enforcement's been a joke in this country for ages. Now the regulars want to bring it back, but only for certain select high-profile industries. I think that's the wrong approach. First, there's no sign whatsoever that advertisers are being screwed over by Facebook. If anything, it's the exact opposite. If you listen to Gary Vee, that's right, Gary Vaynerchuk, the digital marketing guru, he's made it clear that Facebook and Instagram represent the biggest bargains on any medium, including television, radio, and print. 
Well, Gary's done extensive work. I've interviewed him on this on pricing for his clients, and he marvels at the cheapness of Facebook ads. They're the biggest bargain, he says. Honestly, if the government really wants to go after these guys for anti-competitive behavior, it it would make much more sense to accuse them of predatory pricing, deliberately undercutting its rivals to knock them out of contention. Second, let's be clear. Facebook is not a social media monopoly. They may own Instagram, but they don't own Snapchat. They don't own Twitter. They don't own TikTok. All major players. When I analyze these companies, it sure doesn't look like Facebook's doing anything shady to hurt them. Not at all. Third, the idea that Mark Zuckerberg has some secret anti-competitive agenda, that just doesn't jive with the facts. Facebook, strangely, I think, has always played with an open hand about what it's good at and what it isn't. If you simply listened to their conference calls, you knew exactly what the company needed to do to become better. They beat themselves up about it. Any competitor could have read the tea leaves and front run these guys, and that includes Facebook's deep pocketed partners like Facebook. Like uh, Amazon, that could do it, right? Like Apple could have done it. Like Alphabet could have done it. Microsoft could have done it. Put it all together, and I don't think the FTC has much of a case at all. Who is Facebook hurting? What harm have they done? Why should the FTC overturn its earlier decision to bless the Instagram and WhatsApp deals? We don't know, but they did bless them. The real argument here is that our country should go back to an older, more stringent attitude toward antitrust law. But if that's your case, you need to actually explain why we need a different regulatory regime. And that's a pretty big change. Let me put it this way. If the FTC wins this case, it will have a chilling effect on business because what potential acquirer wants to risk buying another company when the regulators might just change their minds about the deal eight years later? Oh, that's a terrible precedent. So memo to the FTC and all the state attorney generals who want to break up Facebook, even if you think big tech has gotten too powerful, well, this is the wrong way to handle it, even if you don't like their politics. Now I want to draw your attention to something that is airing tonight on CNBC at 8 p.m. It's called The Path Forward, Race and Opportunity in America, hosted by my friend John Ford and Carl Quintanilla. Please tune in. Like I say, it's always Bull Market Summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The News with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.